0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the 443 Security Simplify. I'm your host, Mark the Liberty, and joining me today is. Corey Ad Hoc How very unique and spur of the moment of you. It was ad hoc. Yeah. <laughs> on, on today's episode, we'll be discussing a, a malware variant that uh, is at least loosely related to Corey's nickname. Uh, before that, though, uh, we will cover a very painful vulnerability and a at least somewhat popular print management software and then an update on a cascading supply chain attack that just keeps on getting bigger uh, with that let's go ahead and uh i don't know cut our way in
1: chop 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 keep away from paper man it's one of the most dangerous materials in the world You're welcome for the marketing show, Chris. We love you.
0: So let's start this week picking up where we left off about a month ago, almost exactly by the time you're listening into this, where uh, we initially covered the, the three CX supply chain attack and what was, I think our first episode of April. And back then, we knew like a little bit of what happened, at least what the end result was. Um, basically, th- there was a compromise in the update process for a very popular VoIP application uh, made by 3CX that installed, basically, been trojanized. Installed a information stealer in some cases, and in some very specific cases, mainly around like cryptocurrency and financial areas, it actually installed additional remote access tools, uh, remote access tools as well too but we didn't quite figure out exactly how it occurred within 3CX's environment. Did note that their response to it was pretty dang stellar at the time too. And since then, there have been some additional details that have emerged. Uh, So on April 20th, uh, Mandiant released an update stating that 3CX themselves had been the victim of a supply chain attack involving a third-party software package called Xtrader, X underscore trader, uh, apparently an application uh, to enable futures trading uh, commonly in the energy sector apparently and supposedly this application had been discontinued as of 2020 but still available for download on the website uh, from the company that originally developed it uh, trading technologies I think uh, even as late as towards the end of 2022 um so basically sometime around the like October timeframe of 2022, according to Mandiant's report, the uh, legitimate but discontinued XTrader application on the Trading Technologies website had been trojanized. Uh, just like the 3CX application, all of these certificates, uh, the certificate signatures on it were all still valid, um, but some threat actor had implanted two malicious libraries in it, very similar to the 3CX uh, application that got compromised too. Um, Basically, Mandiant found a whole bunch of different things piecing these two together and they were able to build out the entire compromise flow within 3CX's network as well too. But as some of the similarities like the XTrader app and the 3CX desktop app that was compromised had the same RC4 encryption key used to encrypt and decrypt the payloads, similar payload loading mechanisms. They both use this tool called SigFlip, which is on GitHub. Um, And it's that tool that allows a a threat actor or someone to patch a authentic code signed portable executable in a way that it doesn't break the existing signature. And I think we covered this on that last episode, like how they're able to do this. Basically, some auxiliary data isn't a part of the uh, authentic code signature, which is unfortunate. Um, There are a few other similarities, too. So basically they describe once inside the network, they move laterally, harvested credentials that allow them to compromise both the Windows and the Mac OS build environments. And uh at the end of the day, like the the industry is calling this, what is it, a cascading supply chain attack. Which this is, I'm sure it's not the first, but this is if, feels like a a new one but at least a expected evolution of these styles of attacks what do you think Yeah
1: what what's that uh, I always mess up the Russian name for those Matrochka kind of doll? dolls the little you know wooden sh- dolls where one keeps coming out of another over and over And yeah so the cascading nature of this supply chain attack is very interesting I wonder I I wonder if this is uh, like to me it doesn't necessarily always feel planned meaning Uh, North Korea, whoever went after one company knowing it was a a customer of another company specifically targeting it. But it seems like a lot of adversarial threat actors, whether they be North Korean or Russian or Chinese state-sponsored actors, might just be opportunistically trying to get deep into any type of software organization because they know that they can do this sort of cascading thing once they do.
0: That is... um... That is what it feels like on the surface of it. So like Symantec published a blog post on the 21st where they described there were several critical infrastructure organizations in the US and Europe that were additional victims of this X trader supply chain yeah. attack. And so it looks like basically they North Korea, who this has been linked to, compromised that application. Uh, and then that got you know downloaded by many different organizations some in some sectors some in others and in this case they realized oh look we're inside 3CX's environment let's poke I around and take advantage them. And go after their their customers as well too. It's it could be nuts. very
1: very likely collateral damage because as you pointed out, X trader seems to be you know future ch- trading. Maybe they were targeting the energy sector and not 3CX with the original attack. By the way, this is all speculation. <laughs> if it's not clear, whenever we say maybe, we're we're speculating on what these threat actors are doing. But uh, maybe they went after the energy sector, but like with every other supply chain attack, all the collateral damage they get to other folks that happen to use the app, other companies, it just provides the ammo for the next supply chain attack they might be looking
0: to do. How far do you think we are from a future where one single hack impacts every single organization under the sun because we're all using a single dependency or something?
1: that's a great question it feels like it could happen soon i mean i i know this is tooting our own horn but in the internet security bu- report we've been talking ever since talking about supply chain attacks how i believe we're all interconnected you know this might sound <laughs> touchy-feely happy we all rely on each other for society but digitally it's been proven true i mean there's no company that doesn't use many software services, products from other companies. So, uh, and we, whenever we see these type of supply chain attacks happen to very common, you know, Linux-based libraries for well-known packages, they are packages that often are super widespread. So I, I think we, you know, the next step is security. And you know, we're, we're not done getting your individual security up to the maturity level you should be individually. However, I think we're better there. A lot of companies at least have their own internal security at a decent maturity level. I really do think the next step is realizing it's not just us, it's everyone we're connected to. So how can we help each other get the security level of our partners
0: and uh, our vendors and, and vice versa up as well? And this does seem like an area where the federal government here in the States is very interested and the European Union for that matter too. Like a a software bill of materials is a very popular term being thrown around now where organizations need to keep track. Yeah. Of all of the different pieces of whatever product they are uh, developing, all the pieces that make it up, like all these third-party dependencies, all the way down dependency trees too, so that you can at least be aware of what's going on inside and Be aware of potential vulnerabilities from one of those dependencies
1: pure aside and conjecture is i wonder if there's ever going to be a reverse type supply chain attack you know meaning obviously the the only and most common way is going after a vendor that uh, you're targeting customers that use that vendor services product or software but uh, it's interesting how you know the companies themselves actually often give customers privilege you know, privileges to their web apps and things like that. For instance, you know, a normal person may not be able to w- log on to a cloud, but a customer does. And and obviously if you're talking to support and other folks, as soon as we think we're talking to one of our customers, we of course will treat them, you know, pretty well. And with, uh, and maybe do things that we wouldn't, I, I just purely conjecture, but maybe prediction material we can think about one year. When is someone going to use a customer relationship to actually get to another business as kind of like this reversed supply chain? If that happens, yeah. by the way, I feel like it's more like a social engineering phishing type thing than a technical one, obviously, because the customer doesn't always have, <laughs> doesn't like return software back to the vendor.
0: But I feel like that relationship could be targeted as well. Yeah. And I could see even on a technical level, like an attack impacting one customer spreading to the parent organization potentially. Like yeah. it's not always a one way street of data transfer, like especially if the your service provider is handling like data backups as an example. And if you're not handling that correctly, then that could potentially be an avenue for like a, you know, a ransomware attack that sleeps before actually encrypting making its way into you know some centralized backup repository and then suddenly impacting even more. I can see that as a scenario. But yeah, I, that is that's a that is an interesting potential prediction of a reverse supply chain attack. I uh, hope you're ready to write all the fun blog posts for that one.
1: <laughs> we'll have to look in there. That, that was just a stray thought. So we'll quantify it first before we make a prediction, but it could happen. And we definitely know support has always kind of been the avenue for different ways of getting information that you shouldn't as an attacker. Yeah. So it's very important to have good customer relation processes, too, to make sure that you, you don't actually give too much to someone that isn't who
0: they say. And on the flip side, it seems like third party vendor validation is another big hot topic that's finally taking off across the board in the industry, too. And so, I mean, that doesn't directly solve supply chain attacks, but it does at least create some visibility and make you make a conscious decision about the levels of access you give or the types of products you purchase and deploy. And I think all the
1: frameworks and advisory bodies are starting to release information about how to protect specifically against these supply chain attacks and vendor validation being one important one. So yeah, I'm sure if you listen to our MSPs around the world podcasts, which we'll continue doing here and there, you probably hear a lot of us talking about vendor validation uh, before and in the future.
0: And if you are a WatchGuard customer, make sure that you address all of your 1,000 question questionnaires directly to Corey for uh, (laughs) vendor validation.
1: Please give us credit for our ISO 27 certification and audit every year before asking every single question. We spend a lot of time and money getting third party people to validate what we do. So we love uh, having your questions and making sure you trust our security and and getting your feedback. But uh, <laughs> I don't really want those 1,000 everything in the kitchen sink, especially when I already have a certificate that shows that I do 90% of it.
0: Yep. Agreed <laughs> entirely. Uh, so moving on, uh, the next story is all about paper cuts. Super fun. Uh, so yeah. if you're ouch. not familiar, that's what yeah, I have ouch. on my
1: back right now. I'm kidding. <laughs>
0: oh, <God. laughs> on. Uh... This story Random. involves a an application called PaperCut, which huh. up until about a week ago I had no idea existed. But I'm sure there are at least one or two listeners that may have used this in their particular it's class
1: of vulnerability. We've talked about I, by class. I'll say when, it, when when we get to what it targets, it's interesting. So, and we've talked about ones
0: like it. So PaperCut is a print management software, basically designed. Uh, their primary thing is all about reducing paper consumption, which is a You know i applaud them for that that's that's good uh but at the end of the day it's print management so you can submit print jobs potentially works way better than windows just built in printer spooler and service uh well back in uh march 8th they released a software update that disclosed two vulnerabilities so there was an arbitrary code execution vulnerability that bypassed authentication it was a 9.8 out of 10 on the CVSS score. Yeah, That alone is huge without, yep. you know, pre-authentication remote code. is not not something you like. And then an additional authentication bypass flaw that was graded at a 8.2 on the CVSS scale. Um, So these were patched early March. They put out a software update. They disclosed it on their website. They were originally discovered by, I believe, Trend Micro, who's a few days later put out a blog post as well, too, uh, or at least uh, advisories for them as part of their... uh was it project zero day initiative project zero initiative whatever the heck they call it well that is not where the story ends though Uh, so on April 20th papercut published a new blog post indicating that they had evidence that these flaws were being actively exploited in the wild and urging their customers to update as quickly as possible and as a part of that they actually went and like retroactively applied the security patch to all supported versions of their application which is Interesting to see. You don't often see that. You'll see a vendor go, you know, the fix is in version 1.3.2. Go upgrade to that. But it sounds like everything, every version they've had, they've gone, or every supported version, they've applied the patch to it, which is nice. Uh, They also specifically urged any of their customers that expose this service to the internet or to a large open network like a university campus to make sure they update as quickly as possible. Um, Because, so around the same time, uh, Huntress Labs actually identified uh, at least one instance of PowerShell commands being spawned from the PaperCut software to install remote monitoring and management software from uh, Atera or Syncro to obtain persistent access on some of these machines. At the same time, in the same blog post, they noted there were 1,800 PaperCut servers exposed to the internet. Uh, Before continuing, pausing there for a second, uh, installing legitimate RMM software as your remote access tool as a threat actor it's not the first time we've seen this and not the first time we've discussed it on the podcast but it's still it it's I've, it's definitely worth highlighting like it's not like they're setting up a meterpreter shell in this case it's caught by every av vendor this is legitimate software
1: yeah yeah and it's uh obviously in the msp attacks or targeted attacks that i think started around 20 20- 2019 and kind of continued all the way through 2021 and have trickle continued the last few years. Uh, That RMM software is critical. I I would even say endpoint management software, which even includes cloud management stuff like what we make at WatchGuard. Uh, We have MFA for a reason. Those RMM tools have MFA for a reason. They're designed specifically to give you a remote access to your systems but if you're not access control listing access which you you might not be able to do if you don't know the ips of people coming in you you got to do something to protect that credentials are weak Uh, at the very least even if you do the best practices people can fish can and have fish them many of those msp attacks seem to really be a credential leak that caused a login to work on rmm software Um, so i would definitely highly recommend uh thinking about even the legitimate software you expose at the very 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 least having mfa on it uh preferably why not throw a vpn on top of it you can still use it but require the vpn with mfa first too and if you can't do that i know access control lists are a pain in the butt but we are here to talk about zero trust and least privilege so Yeah, using legit tools, living off the land attacks. We've been talking about it forever. It's, it's a smart way to go for threat actors and for obvious reasons, it's much harder to catch legitimate programs doing things they shouldn't than it is to catch obviously malicious things like, you know, meterpreter shells
0: or, or et cetera. Yep. So in Huntress's post, they attributed, uh, this activity to a known Russian criminal entity called silence, basically they. Command and Control domain was also found hosting a, a malware variant called TrueBot, which is known in association with this org. Uh, Silence apparently has links to uh, Evil Corp, which we haven't talked about in quite some time. <laughs> uh, and Clock I'm still as laughing
1: because well uh, they were the first malware actors I remember to really actually use my my favorite Mr. Robot shows yep. Evil Corp name. <laughs>
0: In a, so, a separate blog post, Microsoft found uh, Lockbit and Clop ransomware gangs directly using this vulnerability to gain a foothold and deploy ransomware on organizations. And then on April 24th, uh, Horizon 3 AI, which pausing for a second, I like. I, I go to a lot of sep- events with uh, folks from Horizon 3 AI. I like them and their company. I have to feel like they added AI to their name when they founded themselves a few years ago, strictly for the uh, SEO optimization on Google. <laughs> anyways tangent over
1: yeah ai seems like a, a buzzword since it doesn't really exist as much as machine learning does so I, I could definitely see some folks trying to take advantage of popularly searched words what is it Good that, uh, that
0: that meme goes uh, <laughs> if it's written in python it's machine learning if it's written in uh, powerpoint it's artificial intelligence <laughs> that is perfect yeah you got the meme right <laughs> Uh, Anyways, though, so Horizon 3 AI published their own analysis of the vulnerability, including proof of concept exploit code for it. Um, So they narrowed it down to what they called or described as session puzzling. Uh, So session puzzling, it's when an application uses a session variable for more than one purpose. So on a website, typically when you go log into amazon.com, you're given some session material like say a JSON web token or a cookie or like some sort of key that as you continue to browse that website, as you leave and come back to it, your browser can provide that value, that variable, and amazon.com will know, oh, yep, that's Mark. He's still logged in. There's other areas where it might use session material, like even prior to authentication. Uh, Amazon probably still tracks everything you do on their website using a session variable within your browser. As an example of session puzzling though, so picture like a password reset form on a website where if you go to that password reset form, your first step is to enter your email address. And when you enter it, you'll go to another page that says like awaiting password reset code or something like that. But the website will probably set up some session variable to say this is mark at watchguard.com attempting to reset their password. Here's the variable for that session. Uh, session puzzling would be if you then go to, say, a different page, like to go try and view my my message inbox on that application. If the website accepts that session variable generated for the password reset, so without authentication, and displays the uh, the user's message inbox, that would be a session puzzling flaw in this case. Um, so in the application itself, within PaperCut, the vulnerability is with the use of a function called perform login. Uh, which is used to generate a session for an administrator user now uh, this is used throughout the application in various spots but all one instances of it it follows verifying that the user has entered their password basically you enter your password for whatever this component is and then it calls this perform login function which generates the session variable and sends it down to the browser for the user to use uh, they found uh, so typically, if you go to any page on this application within PaperCut, if you're not authenticated, you get redirected to the home page, which is also the login form. Uh, but Horizon 3 AI found that if you go to this page called Setup Complete, um, which looks to be like the end page of the like setup wizard for the application. When you first turn it online, you go through all the hoops, and then at the end, you go to Setup Complete. There's a button in there where you can click Login. And that login button will call the perform login function and generate admin session without you needing to authenticate to get to that page. Wow. Yeah, that's bad news bears for sure. Um, so Huntress had found that an attacker could abuse this session uh, using the built-in scripting functionality that Papercut has. Basically, you can customize Papercut to use like do certain pre or post batch jobs on the server before or after printing. And so using this as an example, you can execute anything as the print cut, print cut service on the, uh, the server, which if it's installed on Windows, runs with system level privileges. So this is how that pre-authentication, so being able to gather the session paired with code execution, could allow an adversary with access to that server over a network, internet, or large public uh, local network to execute arbitrary code with system level privileges. And the examples they gave would be, you know, even just a guest user on a corporate laptop could then instantly gain system level privileges on this machine within the domain. So rut row to, uh, to put it as Corey did there. Um, so first and foremost, this is yet another example of where exposing an application to the internet, even if it's protected with authentication and probably multi-factor authentication, it's still not always the wisest of plans because you're just banking on there not being a pre-authentication vulnerability in it
1: yeah i want to pause on that for a second because it's something i even sometimes have to explain to uh, other people on executive teams or boards you know we talked about rmm software being exposed but a lot of folks are like well This is a SaaS app, it already has HTTPS and there's authentication. Why can't we just have the internet version? Why are you making me VPN for this? And you nailed it with the pre-auth vulnerabilities. Sure, a a pre-auth 9.8 CVSS remote code execution, hopefully, cross your fingers, hopefully is rare. But the second you have a pre-authentication vulnerability, who cares if it's HTTPS and has a credential, you're screwed. So that's why MFA is the bare minimum. And I, I do mean bare minimum because we we know there's ways around MFA too. And we're literally talking about session tokens. Uh, MFA is part of the authentication procedure. Once that session tokens there, it doesn't matter. So again pre-auth vulnerabilities that leverage session information screw the mfa unless we find some way to fix that as a industry so really the, the the vpn having some other connection is important and i do find it interesting like you mentioned the guest networks having access to a lot of things that aren't uh, we i think one thing you might want to talk about is is higher education i, I mean you go to college Sure, they might have segmented networks but they have this big network that every student can get to and of course lab printers that students need to get to so students at a university even on an internal network could leverage this type of thing for sure yeah
0: definitely a rather serious issue but again like it's resolved and now it is on uh yeah, administrators patch. <laughs> to patch their stuff it's, yeah. the patch has been out there for a month at this point so
1: it's not the worst of cases. It always makes me sad when you like suddenly see a huge batch of some security vendor's customer credentials were out there, but it wasn't the security vendor. They had patched even a year before and, and, and people didn't have uh, the patch that they could have had to prevent those credentials from leaking on their personal devices. So I know it's preaching to the choir. I know it's been said a million times, but shoot, patching is really one of the, the simplest and easiest ways you can Really up the security of your network.
0: Yep. So if you've got a paper cut server floating around and this is all news to you, it's time to it. If panic. you got a
1: paper cut, definitely, you know, get a little bit of ibuprofen, get some isop, you know some some peroxide, clean it out first, band-aids help.
0: Peroxide and a paper cut. <laughs> that, I, I'm, I don't know much about I didn't about know. I was, I was
1: going rubbing alcohol or is it rubbing alcohol or how would you clean it? I'm sure there's something peroxide would hurt
0: like hell.
1: <laughs> Rubbing alcohol does too. They both clean yeah.
0: <laughs> and then you can squeeze some lemon in it also and yeah, yeah. A, little a little bit, bit of salt.
1: salt. By the way, all also would help clean. It wouldn't be pleasant <laughs> but uh, it'd kill those bacteria. And make sure, so moral of the story, Dr. Advice from someone that is not even close to a doctor.
0: If you, uh, if you have a unpatched paper cut server, make sure you pour peroxide all over it. Solve as long versions. as that
1: peroxide includes uh, the patches that this awesome company was good enough to backport to even older versions.
0: Man, that's actually a good name for a, a vulnerability management product. Peroxide. peroxide
1: patches? Oh, yeah, yeah, peroxide. There you go. You could be in and,
0: marketing, Mark. Yeah, I I could be, but I don't want
1: to be. <laughs> no. Shh, shh, don't tell all our marketing No offense friends.
0: to our marketing friends. I, I'm not cut out for that job. Uh. So moving on, before I get kicked off this podcast, uh, our next story is surprising to me uh, because it involves something I did not know existed, and yeah. that is macOS malware.
1: Wait, wait, no. No, Macs do not get malware, Mark. I don't know
0: if you know this, but it's a Mac.
1: Come on, exactly. man. <laughs> it's
0: impossible. Like no one targets it. It's, it's perfectly yeah. safe. There's, there's a reason you don't even need anti-malware on your Mac computer. Yeah, you're fine.
1: Even though there's this Why thing use called a thing gate, gate, Gatekeeper you don't know about that Mac secretly puts there because they know darn well they get malware. That's but the forget Gatekeeper. Thing gatekeeper knocked, gatekeeper right? is just some hidden app that you no one knows about.
0: <laughs> so sarcasm aside, uh, this story <laughs> does involve a, a relatively new macOS malware variant that was discovered by Jamp. Uh, by the way, that's
1: exactly how I pronounce it. But I'm curious—do the the people that work there call it Jamf? Jamf? What what is the? I, I, by the way, for the folks that don't know, Jamf is like a a security management central management thing. It can push policy and security stuff to your Mac. But I I, I always call it Jamf. But I wonder what they really pronounce it as. I I
0: like Jamf, so that's what they're getting. Uh, so they named it. It last... sounds like
1: the the function verb of jam. Like if a computer were to make a, a peanut butter sandwich, it would probably
0: run the jamf function. If you My happen to want damn a little jam, jamfed again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so where was I? Malware variant, brand new macOS malware variant, which they have named Rust Bucket, uh, likely due to the final payload being written in the Rust programming language. Uh, so they have attributed not, not this malware Not that's
1: what happens to Titanium Max from 20 years ago when you leave them out in the rain.
0: Yep, or that. Uh, they've attributed this malware to Blue Noroff. Yeah, that's how we're going to pronounce it, which is a, a North Korean state sponsored threat actor under the umbrella of Lazarus. Uh, the attribution comes mainly due to similarities in the command and control and delivery infrastructure for uh, previous malware deployments that were investigated by Kaspersky and Proofpoint. So this malware, it's actually interesting. It's multi-stage, but it's actually pretty basic on the face of it. Um, The first stage, it's just a compiled AppleScript file uh, that includes a unsigned application called PDF Viewer. Uh, So they noted, Jamf noted, that the user likely has to manually override Gatekeeper to allow this to run. Gatekeeper is pretty strict on macOS about things downloaded from the internet and especially unsigned applications as well too and you tend to have to go out of your way to allow one of those to run.
1: So I'm still not sure why a Mac needs gatekeeper because why would you need a gatekeeper if you don't get malware?
0: Exactly. Now, uh, so the script is very basic. It just uses curl to download a zip file from a command and control server. You Jeff worry about curl.
1: Yep. <laughs> all these
0: lovely names we have for all the crap, the
1: programs <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> yeah, but everyone knows uh, what curl is.
0: Yes, everyone does. Uh, The C2 server's domain was uh, related to venture capital. It was cloud.dnx.capital, which you'll see a trend in this as we go through it. Uh, So then the script unzips and executes that second stage, which is another application, this time called internal PDF viewer. Uh, Which actually works. (laughs) Yeah. They suspected that they broke this into multiple stages to make analysis more difficult especially if one of the C2s goes offline. Like we see this very often where, you know, we'll see a write-up about the first stage or two of malware, but, oh, that third one's offline. So now we have no idea what the final payload was. So that kind of makes sense. Uh, This second stage, though, it masquerades as a legitimate Apple bundle called PDF Viewer. And it is like you just said, a actual working PDF viewing application, which is relatively simple to do. Apple has a full-on tool. Yeah, fit, I, I, but frankly, iOS. I think it's,
1: well, it's a new application, not Apple's. It, it really is just using Apple's fun, you know, SDK functions to, to do everything Apple can already do as a PDF viewer built into
0: the OS. Yep. But with some interesting functionality tacked on as well, too.
1: Yeah, why why would you make a PDF viewer that does the same thing your OS does, unless you want to tack on a little bit of interesting functionality, Mark?
0: So the second stage it doesn't actually contain any malicious activity on its own, and instead it relies on a specific malicious PDF. And they suspect that there's more than one of these PDFs out there. They were able to find one as an example where if you load up this malicious PDF in a normal PDF viewer, like Acrobat or whatever, it the page, it just shows a uh, safeguard viewer, please use the dedicated app for internal employees. So it looks like you have to load it up in this other PDF viewer.
1: By the way, interesting, like we're, we're talking about how simple this is as far as using Apple scripts and, and of course a, a fully compiled normal binary, but this is really smart targeting that kills analysis. I mean, the point is you, you it's same with some supply chain attacks where tons of people might've been a victim of some of the stages, maybe even got the PDF viewer itself. But they're not just installing malware and doing bad things right away. They're waiting for a special document to be open. And that really helps them in targeting. So if a lot of non-victims or researchers get even the PDF viewer until they get the right document, they may have a hard time. I mean, code analysis would find this obviously regardless, but, uh, you know, it just makes it harder to, to sniff something like this out.
0: Yeah. So this uh, malicious PDF, if you open it in a normal viewer, it just says open it in the other one. If you open it in the malicious, the malware PDF viewer, it actually displays a completely different document that actually looks like it was, they took some VC firm's website and like saved it as a PDF to make it look somewhat realistic. Um, So basically this second PDF is encrypted and embedded as a data blob in that first one. So normal PDF viewers don't know it's there. They don't know how to open it. Uh, but this malicious one knows to look at a certain offset based off headers in there, grab it, decrypt it, and then show that one within the viewer. Um, all of this is, at this point, fileless. It's not like it's downloading this malicious PDF. It's decrypting it and loading it up just in memory. And then that after it does that, it grabs a, a URL out of there and then goes to download the third stage of malware. Um, so this stage three was actually missing when they went to go analyze it, but they found on the exact same domain where it should have been, uh, they found another payload that looks like it was likely the third stage, like that had just been moved effectively. And the third stage is basically it's signed Trojan uh, written in Rust that was compiled for both ARM and x86, which makes it relatively large. It's like 12 megabytes, which is pretty big for malware. Um, And it basically scouts out the system to figure out where it's running, if it's in a VM, things like that. And they hint at, but don't describe that there are additional further objectives that it can accomplish on these machines. So at the end, it's a basic Apple scripts, like a really simple PDF viewer. But like you said, this is like, it's interesting. Like typically you see malware where it's a single file. And if you get that file, like, yes, it can download multiple stages. Uh, But that's all it needs. In this case, the threat actors need to deliver not just the PDF viewer, but a malicious PDF as well, too. So I'm trying in my head to think about like what the fish or the hook would be for this. Like I could picture a malicious website where it's like, here's the PDF, and by the way, it's protected. Here's the special viewer you need for it. Like a phishing email sent to do something similar. But like you said, Corey, I think this is uh, like another just obfuscation or anti-analysis technique to make it. That much more difficult to figure out what's going on if you aren't the recipient of everything uh, in this particular attack
1: so yeah by the way going back a little one of the things i thought about when i was reading this like you mentioned that the third stage the actual malware the rust binary was a signed thing. And I, I think everyone realizes that many operating systems won't let you run untrusted code unless it's digitally signed without kind of overriding, uh, you know, security checks. The one thing I didn't know if you wanted to get into is uh, as my first thing was, okay, who's what vendors' digital certificates did they steal to sign this? But it's something called an ad hoc signed binary that I think Apple's use, which Really, it's signed, but without any cryptographic proof at all. There's no, like, actual company's signature. So I I, I haven't had time to deep dive into ad hoc signed binaries, but they're very different than typical code signing. Uh, And I think that's... I'm kind of curious to learn more about, is there some list of known good ad hoc signed binaries? How, you know, how does Apple treat... You know, I get how they treat a vendor's signed binary because they work with the vendor to make sure they they give the right keys for all that to work. But I, I just wanted to learn more about these ad hoc signed
0: binaries, so maybe oh, we'll so learn actually, more and talk later. Oh, go ahead. I've been through the uh, the process of getting a code signing certificate from Apple before. Uh, yeah. In another life, I made a uh, an application that I ended up distributing on macOS, and it's it was surprisingly easy to get it. Basically, if you've got like it, you don't even need an LLC registered anywhere. You can sign up for it as a individual developer, pay the $100 fee to get in. And yes, like the second you sign malware that eventually gets revoked, but you could in theory, at least have a one shot at getting a legitimately signed application validated by Apple. Now, as part of the signing process, you upload a copy of your application to Apple servers for verification. That's all automated though and i can't imagine it is that difficult to obfuscate malicious intentions
1: and by the way, I, I got to a stack exchange page, you know, like obviously internet research can be weird and I'm not sure if I'd trust Quora answers all the time, but stack exchange is one I think a lot of coders and security folks like, and they have a blurb instead ad hoc signed binaries are checked by comparing the SHA-1 hash against a list of known good hashes stored in a static trust cache inside the kernel. But the next sentence, in essence, this means that the quote unquote significant restrictions placed upon any application you ad hoc sign yourself is that it won't pass any kind of verification anywhere it basically here's their bad grammar it basically be the same as a non-signed binary okay so at least according to stack exchange they they talk about i'm curious i'm curious why apple lets it get by if it really kind of sounds like a (laughs) not a very good level of signing
0: right Yeah, because it sounds like just an interesting aside for nerds. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, sorry. It's basically if it's not included in a hard-coded allow list in the macOS kernel, it shouldn't work. And there's no way in heck this random Rust malware is going to be. Should yeah. yeah.
1: (laughs) Anyways, if 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 anyone's interested, and you can find some info on Stack Exchange about ad hoc signing. Yeah, and they do have some Apple links in it.
0: Takeaway though. Like, apparently Macs get malware, so maybe you do need endpoint <laughs> protection on
1: them. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that's why we have a product running on all our Macs that we make.
0: <laughs> yeah. And if you, uh, you happen to see a sketchy PDF viewer and sketchy PDFs being delivered, maybe think twice before downloading and running them. By the way,
1: while we're on the subject, total aside, and the good news is it's not actually effective at encrypting, so bad guys aren't using it. But researchers quite a while ago, like a few weeks ago, there are Mac versions of Lockbit. Lockbit is now up to like 3.0 on Windows, one of the most prolific ransomware groups to be sending ransomware right now. And there's a Mac version out there. And it's not quite working in full, the sample that these researchers found, but just another example of, uh, I won't be surprised to know that, or, or to see ransomware showing up on Macs more often than they have in the past soon.
0: That is a uh, considerate of them to consider their Mac OS user base and make yeah. sure they're fully supported as well too. Hats good, off to on, good, good
1: on cyber criminals, opening up their platforms and supporting more platforms
0: for people. <laughs> Let me know when we've got Chromebook ransomware, and then I'll be happy.
1: <laughs> yeah, or or Tesla ransomware. I need to cover all my my smart devices, too.
0: I will actually be happy when we see Tesla ransomware. <laughs> For different reasons, yeah. <laughs> Leave the
1: other electric cars alone, but eh. Until yeah. Until Musk leaves Tesla, at least. <laughs> I'm kidding. We don't uh, want anyone ranks- to target anyone. This is
0: just us being silly. <laughs> silly, with a slight tinge of truth in it. on that note, though, yes, make sure your Mac is protected by endpoint software. They can uh, potentially catch this kind of threat. And I don't think this is the uh, the last time we'll see these multi-stage attacks targeting Mac OS. So, yay. Stay safe out there. Stay frosty.
1: (laughs) I feel like I need a big gun and some camouflage makeup in a Predator movie. Stay frosty. As my head flies off, cause the predator comes into view out of his invisibility after launching something
0: at me. You would probably be the first one to die. Yep. Yep. For sure. Hey everyone. Thanks again for listening. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe if you have any questions on today's topics or suggestions for future episode topics, you can reach out to us still on Twitter for now. Maybe I'm at XO. Oh, yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I don't read Twitter. So sorry. You can't reach out to By us. the way, if you want uh, to try-
1: I didn't ask for that blue verification mark. I don't know why it's on my account. Elon Musk. <laughs> I'm kidding. Sorry. <laughs> Mr. Eight buck a month, Corey. Until he, t- uh, until he turned them back on for everyone that didn't pay for him if they were big enough clout. I'm at XORRO
0: underscore still, and Corey is still at SecAdept, and we are both still at hashtag the 443 podcast. Please, someone build a better platform. Thanks again for listening, and you will hear from us next week.